take great comfort in knowing that we can call the name of the one who never sleeps nor slumbers. But he's always there. He's always attentive to his children's cry. And no matter what the need tonight, I know for most it seems as if the storms of life are raging. It seems like everything that can go wrong has gone wrong. But I want to encourage the child of God tonight. Oh, the master is nigh. He is near to his children tonight. And the word is true. If we'll draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. So tonight, whatever you're facing, whatever you're going to leave the house of God and go home to, he's already there. He is there in the midst of your situation. And he is already working. He's already seen you come out of the storm onto dry land. That's how good he is. Because we have to remind ourselves, he sees from the end to the beginning. We can't wrap our minds around it. But what we're facing right now as a nation, what we're going through, he's already seen us come out on the other side. We are victorious in Christ Jesus that first song will walk in your freedom walk in your liberty the only way we can do that is to stay in Christ Jesus we have freedom that no man can take from us that no government can take from us because true freedom is only found in Jesus Christ amen we should be encouraged tonight I'm so thankful for Wednesday night service because a lot happens from Sunday to Wednesday we, we see and hear a lot of junk, a lot of bad news. But tonight we've come together to be encouraged, to be uplifted, to get that motivation and, and just to be filled up to make it to Sunday. Amen? That's why, that's why Wednesday night services are so important and why I love them so much. Because it just gets me through. Amen? Amen. Well, at this time we're going to... Uh, divide go our separate ways youth and children's church you're dismissed we're going to pass around the offering plate if you have anything which is basically the whole sanctuary is leaving y'all have fun <laughs> hey but that's good it's good to see young people here it's exciting a lot of young people i know i love them it's great Great, great. And I failed to mention, I know we mentioned this um, Sunday, but Frankie Arney, a dear friend of Chad Owens and his family, uh, my mom and I actually catered uh, Frankie's wedding, and um, just a great guy, uh, diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer. So please keep uh, Frankie Arney and his family in your prayers. I know that he... Um, had doctor's appointments this week, I think, to determine the course of treatment. Um, but please keep him uh, in your prayers. He's been involved in ministry basically his whole life. Uh, was actually a chaplain for NASCAR for several years. Um, so just keep that family in your prayers. These are perilous times we're living in. Um, you know, like I said in the beginning, it... it uh, it's easy to become overwhelmed, but then we've just got to say, Lord, take it. It's yours. I can't bear this. I can't handle this. But the good news is he can. He can and he will. Tonight, uh, if you will, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 23 
through 27, Mark chapter 10, verses 23 through 27, using for a title, With God All Things Are Possible. That should excite us. With God, all things are possible. I'm going to go ahead and start reading. And Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they who have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said unto them, Children, how hard is it for them who trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. I love that portion of Scripture right there. It should be uh, an encouragement to the believer that no matter what you're facing, it's impossible with you, but God. But God, those two words, but with God, all things are possible. Now, I want you to realize, to understand, I know we've had a, a week in between because we were out of town last week, but the week before that when I spoke uh, of the rich young ruler, this is immediately after um, the rich young ruler walked away. So you've got to understand that. In verse 22 of Mark chapter 10, it says, And he was sad, speaking of the rich young ruler, sat at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. He was sad that salvation could not be bought, could not be worked for, earned, or merited by good behavior. That made him so sad that he walked away lost. I mean, think about it. He was speaking to Jesus the Savior of the world. And he was so sad at what Jesus had told him that he walked away lost, showing us that he valued his possessions, his wealth, his happiness over a life with the Lord, life eternal. And as I was going back over this, uh, and I shared this last week, and I thought, well, already, I, or the week before last, but I want to share it again because I think it's, uh, it's needed. We need to understand this. We need to get this. Uh, how many times have we walked away sad from the very presence of God Almighty? Have we been in the very presence of the Lord and yet walked out in the same condition or even worse than what we walked in the church doors with? Willfully, our own choosing, our own doing, uh, an easy answer to how often that happens uh, would most likely be every time the anointed word of God is taught and preached and we do nothing to respond to it. That's walking out of the presence of the Lord sad, grieved. Because I'm here to tell you, when he shows up, and he's here because we're here, he shows up to work in our lives each and every time. But it's you and I who choose whether or not we allow him 
to do what he longs to do, what he desires to do. See, a lot of times we do nothing to invite him in or make him feel welcome in our hearts to change us, to change our situations. See, again, Hebrews 7, 25 says, He ever lives to make intercession for me. That's what he lives to do. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So when we're here, when we're gathered together, what is he doing? He's interceding for us. He's our mediator between us and God the Father. But a lot of times we just let that be in vain. We come in and we walk out and don't even allow him to do what he came to do. Sometimes we come with the wrong attitude or a wrong spirit or maybe a doubting uh, spirit. Well, Lord, I know you can do it for so-and-so, and I've seen you do it for them, but, but you just you, that's not for me. You're just not going to do it for me. How many times have we done that? And so tonight we've got to just get real honest with ourselves because the Lord knows already. But sometimes we need to get honest with ourselves. Lord, how have I stopped you? How have I restricted you and moving in my own personal life because he's always moving but we're the ones who puts the brakes on we're the ones who stops him who grieves him who frustrates him and the service ends and we walk away see if God's word is true and it is then Matthew 18 and 20 is true also for where two or three are gathered together in my name there I am in the midst of them and there's more than two or three people here tonight he's here He's here to do a work. So what are we going to do? Are we going to run to him? Are we going to kneel down before him? That's great. The rich young ruler did that. And I shared this two weeks ago. But the rich young ruler failed to do what the Lord required, that next step. He ran to him. He knelt down. But he failed to surrender it all. To surrender it all. And until one surrenders all, each and every time you're going to walk away sad. You're going to walk away grieved. Because the Lord's here to do a work, but we've got to let him. See, we come in sad. We should go out praising. We should. That's faith. That's trust in the Lord. Lord, this situation that I'm in, what I'm facing, I can't, but you can. And Lord, I'm going to praise you for it. I'm going to praise you now because you're already working. Even when we don't see it, that's what faith is. Lord, I'm going to praise you already for making a, uh, giving me a new job, right? I'm going to praise you already, Lord, for doing that. I'm going to praise you al- already, Lord, for healing, for deliverance, whatever it may be. Do we trust him? Do we believe that he is who he says he is? And if we do, then we're going to give it to him and we're going to praise him for the victory because he can't lose. He always wins. He always overcomes. He's always triumphant. Who better to give your problems to, your cares to, your worries to, than the Lord, the one who can't lose, which means we can't. Now, what that looks like might not be what we think it should, but if we're trusting him, if our faith is anchored in him, no matter what it looks like, we're going to believe. We're going to continue to believe and have faith in him. See, verse 24 says, uh, well, wait, I got ahead of myself. So the disciples uh, now, having just witnessed what had happened, uh, started talking among themselves. And in verse 26, uh, what were they saying? They were wondering, well, then who can be saved? 
who, Lord, can be saved? You just, the rich people can't be saved? The, who can be saved, Lord? See, the disciples by now should have known that even though they were just thinking these things in their minds or maybe very quietly saying it to each other under their breath, by now they should know that the Lord knows their thoughts. He's a discerner of their heart, of their intentions. He's shown that to them over and over again. But verse 24 says, the disciples were astonished at his words. What words? Verse 25, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. But then he says in verse 27, with men it is impossible. What's impossible? salvation man cannot save man it is impossible salvation is impossible to be worked for to be bought to to be merited by good behavior it is impossible but not with God for with God all things are possible and see, so many times we miss the importance of this verse right here. This totally shows us we can't. We can do nothing without him. It is impossible to be saved without him. It's impossible to be saved without first the drawing of the Holy Spirit, convicting our heart, bringing us to that place of repentance. As much as we think we're good and deserving and all these things, we're not. It's impossible, the word says, right? Man cannot save man no matter how smart, rich, educated, talented, even anointed. Man can't save man. It's impossible. And that makes a lot of people mad and sad and everything in between. That man can't save man. Most uh, of the modern church today, oh, well, you just you got to pray more. you got to fast more. you got to read more. you got to do this. you got to do that. you got to count backwards from ten. You know, all of these things that man can do, it'll never work. It, it doesn't hold water with the Lord. It doesn't do anything. Why? Because it's impossible with man. It is only possible through God Almighty. And it starts with salvation, and then anything else you can think of, it's only by the grace of God not by anything that you and I could ever do. See, he thought he could have eternal life on his own terms, by his works as a reward for his good deeds. And when he found out that he had to part with these possessions, his riches, materialism, he went away sorrowful. He didn't have to. He chose to. So many times, well, why would a loving God send uh, anyone to hell? He doesn't. One chooses to go to hell. God's word says that he came that not even one would perish, but that all would have eternal life. All you got to do is choose him, receive him, receive that free gift of salvation. I want you to hear me tonight that no man can serve two masters. Can't happen. The word of God is very clear about that. Um, Christ has got to be number one. He is our Savior. He is our Lord, right? Uh, Christ is our Savior, and a lot of times our possessions and materialisms become our master. It's what drives us. 
and what makes us work uh, overtime. And we never have time with our family. Why? Because we've got to have this and we've got to have this. And it becomes our master. Do you see what this is saying? It's, a lot of times people don't see this. They don't understand. That's what it becomes. I mean, it takes over. It takes over your life. And that's really what you're serving. You're serving your job. And you're not serving the Lord. He has to come first in everything. The word says, he that is not for me is against me. And no man can serve two masters. No man can serve God and the God of this world. Right? And I want you to, I want to make it very clear tonight that the fault is not in the riches. See, it, it, it's not that. It's not always a rich man that's covetous. Sometimes it's a poor man. It can be just as covetous as a rich man. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And you've got to understand that. Where's your value in life? See, there's been some very wealthy men in the scripture that knew God, that served the Lord. David was a man of great power, great wealth, and a man of great faith. Abraham was a man of great faith and a man of great wealth. Job was a man of unusual great wealth, power, and influence, but a man who walked with God. You see, somebody says, well, riches have, ru have ruined people. Riches have ruined, money's ruined this generation. No, that's not true. See, the generation ruined riches because they made it their God. That's not what caused the ruin. See, the ruin was in the heart. That's where it starts, is in the heart. It's always in the heart. People say, well, if there were no guns, this world would be a much better place. No, <laughs> that's not true. It's the heart of man. It's not the gun. It's the heart of of man that is deceitfully wicked. The problem is not in things. The problem is in the heart. And these things, we try to possess them and love them and dedicate ourselves to them. That's our problem. It's a heart problem. Always has been, always will be. A preacher once said, Adam was wealthy, right? Adam was surrounded by everything. Adam was a man of power when he walked with God. Adam had dominion over the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea and the beast of the forest. Everything, think about it, everything was his. Man of God, outstanding wealth, but it was a means instead of an end. Okay? He used it and he walked with God. But today these things are using us and dominating us. Riches, wealth, possessions, they dominate us. Try taking uh, your kid's phone or even your own phone and putting it away. See how dominated you are by these things. You are, we are. I mean, we truly are. We're lost without them. That should be like a, a red flag, a wake-up call to us. We're being dominated by the things of the world instead of allowing the Lord to have full and complete control in our lives. Christ saw the man's problem. His problem was materialism, uh, the love of it, and the wealth. And he told him to get rid of these things and follow me, and he couldn't do it. He could not do it. Uh, so when Jesus watched him turn around and go, he immediately turned around to the disciples and says it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And now a lot of people um, want to de 
debate this because the, the gate, the city gate, uh, a lot of times was called the eye. And so they were talking about because people rode camels then and saying it was hard for the camel to get down and go through. But no, literally, just as the picture that Vanessa has right there, that's how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel, a camel, and I meant to bring a needle, <laughs> to go through the eye of a needle. Again, realizing it's only by God's grace and his mercy that we can be saved, that we can be in relationship with God Almighty. I mean, do we realize the impossibility that we were up against? I don't think we do. I don't think we do for a moment realize how great of a gift salvation really is. Because if we truly understood how great it was, you couldn't shut us up from talking about it. We would be telling everyone of this great gift. You won the lottery. Let's just say you won the lottery. Oh, my Lord, everybody would know. And everybody would be knocking at your door too, right? <laughs> People would know. It would get out. It would show. Okay, I'm not even going <laughs> to but when something good happens in our life, we like to tell people about it. Well, why is that not the same and continue, continues to be the same with our salvation? We should continually be giving the Lord praise and glory and honor for such a great salvation when we realize how lost and how wretched we truly are without him. Then we begin to start to wrap our minds around how great of a salvation that we have. It was impossible for us. And we think highly of ourselves. I mean, Jason Hanna has a shirt. He just wakes up awesome, right? He's so awesome. <laughs> right? We, we do. We all do. We would all have that shirt if, if we had it. Right? We just think it. But we're not. We're not. It's only by the grace and the mercy of the Lord that we're able to be here, that we're able to, to, to come into his presence, and he's here with us. That's what always gets me, that even though I fail him time and time again, he still desires to be near me, to be in relationship with me to let me be around him, to let me experience his goodness and his grace and his mercy, to feel the wind of his spirit at times just sweep over me. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But that's how good he is. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The disciples were troubled. They were astonished out of measure, the scripture says. Well, who can be saved? Just tell us, Lord, who can then be saved, right? You see, they thought the kingdom of God, they still thought the kingdom of God consisted of riches and materialism. They thought it was a material kingdom. They thought it was a kingdom of power, right, here on the earth. They thought it was an earthly kingdom. They thought it was a Jewish kingdom kingdom and they thought it was going to be set upon this earth right because you go back and you read even from the beginning of the teaching of mark and throughout all of the gospels they would say lord when are you going to restore the kingdom to israel 
they just thought it was going to be right then and there because that's what they had been taught their entire life uh, through the teachings of the, the Old Testament. That's what they thought. Uh, James and John's mother who said, let my sons, when you come into your kingdom, one sit on your right hand and one sit on your left hand. See, they thought while he was here, he wasn't going to leave. He was just going to stay and set up his kingdom. I mean, you remember up on the mountain, and he said, let me build a tabernacle so that you can just stay here. They could not grasp that he was going away, that he came to die. He came to go to Calvary's cross so that man could be redeemed, that man could one day have eternal life with the Lord. That's what they thought, and that's the reason why they were astounded. They thought, again, well, who's going to be saved? You condemn the Pharisees for self-righteousness. You condemn the rich for covetousness. And you condemn the religious for idolatry. So who can be saved? That's when the Lord said, with men it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Showing man's going to mess it up. Each and every time. I don't care how good of a man you are or woman. When we get our hands in it, it gets messed up. It's tainted. It, it goes south real fast. It just doesn't work. We have got to understand he's the head. We've got to look to him for everything that we do, he, we've got to allow his Holy Spirit to do what he came to do, and that is to lead and to guide into all truth. Now, the Lord allows us the privilege to, to work out our salvation, to use discernment, and we miss it sometimes. But that's when we always have to go back and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I failed. You lead, I follow. You lead. I follow. That never changes. But a lot of times we like to run ahead and then we look back and, oh, Lord, where are you? <laughs> what happened? I thought we were going good. And he's still back here like, uh, where are you going? Right? A lot of times we run ahead and then we ask him, catch up, Lord. Hurry, come on. You need to bless this. This needs to be going better. When he never told us to run ahead, most of the time he always says to us, stand still. Over and over again, that's what we see. And that's what we've got to learn to do. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand still and just let him work. Let him move. Let him do what only he can do. So again, that's what they thought. So now why is salvation impossible with men? Just tell me why, Lord. Well, tonight I'm going to give you three good reasons why salvation is impossible with men. I'm going to try to get through these. Um, the first one is, tell me, uh, you that would be justified by the law. Right? We can't. You that would find your righteousness in the law, you that would present yourself to God by keeping the law like this rich young ruler. Remember? Uh, the Lord asked him. He specifically went back to the... Ten Commandments, and what did the rich young ruler say? Oh, I've kept them. I'm good. I've kept these laws. Wrong. <laughs> no, you haven't. You haven't kept the law. See, the law demands and commands and requires you to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and requires you to love your neighbor 
as yourself. That's what the law says. So think about it this way. If anybody's wife has to die next year, oh, let it be mine and not yours. Is somebody going to say that? Are we going to say if somebody's husband has to die? Oh, well, let it be my husband to die. Don't answer that, lady. No, I'm kidding. Um, and not yours. Right? I mean, think about it. That's what the law, if we're saying we're doing this, and we're loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, this is kind of what it would sound like. No, we're not doing that. We, we are not going to do that. We can't do that. So that's why we can't save mankind. Only Christ came. Only he could fulfill the law. Only he could keep the law completely and totally. Christ said, you've heard it said by them of old times, thou shalt not kill. I say unto you, speak harshly. To call a man a fool is to be guilty of murder. I mean, when we really begin to read the law and understand what it says, oh, we failed him over and over and over again, we've broken the law over and over and over again. We can't do it, but he can, and he did. And when we are in him, we are covered. We are kept. We are seen as him. See, when, when he looks down, he doesn't see us. He sees the blood that's been applied to our life. He sees us as the righteousness of Christ. We are justified. We are sanctified in Christ Jesus. But when we step out of that, we've broken it all. And we are far from him. Far from him. We cannot do that. We cannot attempt to do that. Secondly, it's because of the corruption of the human nature. We are born in sin. We are corrupt. Um, all of us. Do you know what the Bible says about nature? First Corinthians, about our nature. First Corinthians 2 and 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Right? That's what the word says. It says that when uh, natural man hates the God of the Bible... He hates the things of God. Before we come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we are at war with God. I mean, we've got to understand that. If we're not for him, we're against him. The natural man hates God. Now, what, whether that comes out of your mouth and those terms or not, that's the truth. That's what it is. If you are not covered by the blood of Jesus, if you're not living for the Lord, then you hate the Lord. That's what the Word says. That's not what I say. That's what the Word says. The natural man, Romans 8 uh, and 7, says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Wow, we are really wretched. Without him, we are at enmity with God. We are at war with God. John 8 and 9. 8 and 19. Yes, there you go. Thank you, Vanessa. Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, You neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you should also, you should have known my father also. 
See, it's not subject to the law of God, and neither indeed can be. Christ said again, you don't know me. You don't, you don't know me. People will try to attach Jesus to everything these days. And the Lord up in heaven is saying, you don't know me. Because if you knew me, you wouldn't have done this. <laughs> or you wouldn't have acted in this way. You don't know me. Don't act like, you know how people like to um, name drop sometimes? Like if they meet just or walk by or see somebody famous. Oh, yeah. You don't know that person. You might have seen them from afar off, but you don't know them. And it's the same with the Lord. He died so that we could have intimate relationship with him. Don't you want to get to know him? Don't you want to know his heart? He wants to share his heart with his children. He has desires for his children. But if you don't take that step and take that initiative in getting to know him, he's going to say, you don't know me. I don't know you. Remember the scripture that just keeps coming up. Depart from me, from me, for I never knew you. People who just went through the motions of doing religious things, religious activity, and then to hear the words, depart from me, for I never knew you, meaning they never had a personal relationship with the Lord. Why? Because they thought they could do it on their own. They failed to realize that with man it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The scripture says in Romans 3 and 10, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Uh, I know years ago, Jason and I went through a training thing. Um, Ray Stedman, I think, was that his name? Um, witnessing Ray Comfort. Okay. And the first thing that he would go to and ask him, are you a good person? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Everybody wants to think they're good. When clearly the scripture says no man is good, no man is righteous, only God. And so he would go through and show how man continually breaks the law. No, you're not good. You just broke one of the commandments. You're not good, right? You're not God. And then I, always, I thought, wow, that's really good. That's when I kind of started waking up to things. See, God looked down from heaven and he saw that every imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. That's all that comes out of our heart, an unregenerate heart, a heart that is far from God. We see it, oh my gosh, every time you turn on the news, every time you click on Facebook, every time you see anything, you see only evil coming out of people's hearts, coming out of their mouths. That's what the unregenerate heart is possible of. If it weren't for the grace and mercy of the Lord, that's where we would be. We would be rioting. We would be doing all of this craziness. This, it's just ungodly. That's sin at its greatest right there. Romans 7 and 18. Again, uh, when we delight in the law of God, it, it tells us about the other member that's warring in us. It says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find we know this was Paul's heart the entire time and realizing I'm not going to find how to perform it because I can't. I can't perform. That is a work of the Holy Spirit 
if I do something good, if, if there's something good that comes from these hands, it's because I allowed the Lord to do it. It wasn't me. It's because there's nothing good in me. It's only by the grace and the mercy of the Lord. Now, what you call good, God doesn't call good. Luke 16 and 15 um, says, And he said unto them, Ye that which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your heart, for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. See, people who are doing things in the flesh, on their own, thinking, Oh, look at me, I'm such a model citizen, and I could go in a direction right now, and I'm not going to, because it just don't need, it's not even worth it. I'm not even going there. But no, God says that's an abomination in my eyes. What you're doing is not good. What you're doing is destructive. What you're doing is evil. It is not good. Why? Because it's not from him. Melissa hit on it a couple weeks ago on a Monday night. It's a movement of man. And no man-made movement is good. It's only the moving of the Holy Spirit that produces anything good. Anything that is motivated, anything that is started, that comes from the heart of man is evil. Anything. Even things that people look at and think, oh, how good, how wonderful, how great. Aren't they so considerate? The Lord says, no, it's an abomination because I didn't do it. I have nothing to do with this. It's an abomination in his eyes. That's why we always have to be seeking his will, his leading, his guiding, because it is very easy for us to think, oh, this is a good thing, let's do it. It might be a good thing, but it's not a God thing. We've got to stop doing good things, and we've got to hear the voice of the Lord so that they can be God things. Those are the things that I want to be attached to, that I want to be uh, involved with and, and, and uh, committed to. Not just good things, but things that are ordered of the Lord. How do, how do I know if it's a God thing? You've got to be praying. You've got to be in right relationship with the Lord. You've got to be reading his word. Why? Because his word says that it's the lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. If we don't have his word in our heart, then we're walking around in darkness. It is only by and through the illumination of his word that we can dis discern good from God. And I could go into a whole thing of the tree of good and evil, uh, and I don't have time for that tonight, but, but both are bad. Both were told to stay away from, and it brought about sin, and, and we know that always the wages of sin is death. We've got to stay away from it. We've got to be following the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit, and thirdly, because of divine justice. That's why salvation is not possible with man. It is only possible with God because of divine justice. See, the demand of divine justice is these. The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. And we've all sinned. We all deserve death. I mean, that's, that's the truth of the matter. We all deserve death. That's never been repealed. That's never been changed. The scripture says God will by no means clear the guilty. 
Meaning if you stand before God in your own strength, in your own power, in your flesh, you're done. He's not going to say, oh, but you were a good citizen. You were thoughtful of others' feelings. You were concerned with others' well-being. Come on in. The Lord never winks at sin. (laughs) Never. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. It always brings about death. And the scripture goes on to say, sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. God has, will, and must punish sin. He must. If he's going to be God, he's got to punish sin. That's it, plain and simple. So how do I know God will punish sin? Well, he spared not his own son. Think about it. He didn't spare his own son's life, right? Christ didn't have any sins of his own. Didn't have any sins of his own. Christ was bearing my sin, my shame, your sin, your shame, and yet the father turned his back on his own son. So salvation is impossible with man. It's impossible with man either by law, by merit, by good works, by righteousness, by baptism or church membership because the law must be honored perfectly, perfectly inwardly and outwardly, and we cannot do it. We cannot do it. You can't just pick and choose a few of the laws that you're good at keeping, right? Thou shalt not kill. I'm not going to kill anybody. Well, remember, when you have a bad thought, I wish that person would curl up and die. You just killed them. Because now we're in the New Testament. We're under grace, and grace demands it all. So before you think, oh, I can do that. I can keep the law. No, you can't. We can't. Thank the Lord he didn't stop there. So uh, if I were you, I wouldn't try that route to keep the law. I would come by way of Calvary, by the way of the cross. Amen? It's impossible with men because of the strictness of the law, because of the corruption of our human nature, and because of the demands of God's justice. Who shall stand in his presence? Right? Not one of us could. Uh, David answered and said, He that has clean hands and a pure heart, but in our own nature, we don't have that. We don't have that at all. We don't even come close. Um, We would be like the chaff which the wind drives away. That's what the scripture goes on to say. Again, the Lord didn't stop there. With men, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. He's able to save. God is able to save. Man's not able, but God's able. He's able to save to the uttermost, to them who come to him by Christ. Why? Because he's God. He is God. That's it. He's not only to save because he's God, but because he performs all that justice and righteousness and holiness demanded to be performed in order for us to be saved. He kept the law perfectly so that you and I and all of our brokenness, and all of our sin, and all of our failure, when we come in by way of the cross, we are now washed, we are now cleansed, we are now sanctified and justified. We're declared righteous in the sight of the Lord. Aren't you thankful for the cross tonight? Aren't you thankful for Calvary? Because if not, it would have been impossible. 
I'm so thankful that the Lord saw fit to spare not his only son, but so that he would die in my place and in your place so that I could spend eternity in heaven. Again, the rich young ruler walked away sad. He walked away in worse shape than he came in with. But tonight, I don't want that to be the case of anyone in here. Whatever impossibility you're facing tonight, I want you to know God's able, and it's not impossible for him. I know each and every one of us know someone who's lost. We probably know someone who's bound by drugs or are just bound by sin, just tormented maybe in their mind, whatever it may be. The Lord's able tonight to move on their behalf. But are we going to walk out doubting? Are we going to walk out saying, well, not tonight, Lord. I'm, I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to go home. No, he's here tonight to do a work in each and every one of our lives. So, Vanessa, if you have a song ready, I'm going to ask that everyone would stand. See, the failure again is failure to respond to the Lord. So if you have a need in your life tonight, an impossibility, I want you to come to the one that all things are possible, that nothing is too difficult for him, and allow him to work in your life. Go ahead, Vanessa.
power that we can stand in tonight, Lord. We know, Lord, without you we can do nothing, but we thank you, Lord. Oh, we thank you for the great gift of salvation tonight, Lord. We know, God, that without you it was impossible, Lord, but we're so thankful, Lord, that you came, that you died on Calvary's cross, Lord, making it possible for us to spend eternity with you, Lord. We thank you and praise you for the word that's gone forth tonight. I pray that it continue to sink deep into our hearts, Lord. Oh, that a joy would be restored within us, restore the joy of our salvation, that we would go and tell others, Lord, that it's not just for a chosen few, but it's for whosoever will, Lord. We claim souls for your kingdom. We give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, just a reminder uh, for Sunday for the Food and Fellowship, if you've not yet signed up, you can do so on your way out, and if you would like to make a donation for that, we will gladly accept it. Um, you can put it in the offering plate or give on the iPad, and then if anyone has an outdoor cooker, that's those little, like you would deep fry a turkey, you know, it has like a propane tank attached to it, and a stock pot, we need several of those. So if anybody has one that they can donate, come see us and let us know uh, tonight so we'll get a number of how many we have. Uh, we look forward to seeing you all on Sunday. Be blessed. Uh -huh.